It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is a very significant episode in my World War II series. In a sense, the previous 66 installments have been building towards this exact day and moment. 6.36 a.m. on June 6, 1944. D-Day. It's the breakthrough. The piercing of Hitler's fortress Europe. But it's sometimes difficult to see the wonder of this day through the muck of human suffering endured during this one singular day, which was necessary in order to accomplish the magnificent breakthrough. Hey, this is Eric. Before we throw down the gate of the landing craft and 230 boys from A Company jump out into the maelstrom of machine gun fire onto Omaha Beach, I wanted to remind everyone that suffering can turn us one of two ways, to self-pity and defeat, or to Christ and his triumphant grace. It's amazing what might be found in the sands of Omaha if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We've been building for a long time to get to D-Day. If you've been following this series, this is a this is a long, arduous journey, and we've gone through a lot of pains, a lot of difficulties to get to this day, and even the preparations of this day for two and a half years. You have nations that are working together to strategize how to break through what's called the Atlantic Wall or Fortress Europe. Hitler owns all of Europe right now. He is, he is maintaining it and he, is, he has it fortified in. And to even touch the edges of it means to lose countless thousands of lives to try and break through that wall. And so, I mean, this is a, this is a hard thing. What we're going to see is we're going to see Paul the Apostle as he begins to describe things in the New Testament. He begins to articulate and enunciate something that most of us don't uh, oftentimes know how to relate to. However, what my desire is is that you would be brought into Paul's uh, struggling and Paul's breakthrough. And in so doing, that you'd be able to walk through even this D-Day experience as we hit the beaches of Omaha uh, together, that you recognize something very, very special about God's kingdom and that it unlocks for you. So I'm going to say the special assignment. The special assignment in World War II is what we call the tip of the spear. Who gets to be the company that hits the beach first? Now, Omaha Beach wasn't supposed to be as bad as it was. Uh, they were supposed to take out the gunners. They flew in ahead. They were going to bomb out those, gunner, those nests that had the guns trained on the beaches. But they hit too deep in. And as a result, the guns are still standing. And they're aimed straight at the beach, straight at the place where men, are, boys, if we're going to be honest, are going to empty out of transport vehicles and be exposed to, I mean, millions of rounds of bullets just pummeling the beaches. And uh, this is not the situation anyone wants to be in. And yet, who is going to get that special assignment? Paul is going to get a special assignment. And it's an assignment all of us look back in history and we're like, you know what? If I could be like any man and showcase the glory of God. You know, in other words, Jesus is going to live a life that is perfect. The rest of us are going to live a different sort of life. Even though it is the life of Christ, it's not Christ. It is Christ in us. 
And so as a result, he's going to take these feeble bodies that are still marked in battle. And he is going to invade them and take them over. And Paul the Apostle is going to be a very flawed individual that is going to be transformed. And he is going to receive a special assignment to carry this gospel unto the Gentiles. But I don't want you to think by me saying he has a special assignment that you don't. Every single one of us has been given a special assignment. I want to put quotes around the word special as we progress. And for your assignment, you will get a special grace. Don't think that God doesn't know what you're called to. If God gives you a special assignment, he gives you a special grace to match that special assignment. And so you need to recognize that whatever that is, you are going to receive something in abundance for that exact task. Paul the Apostle, he is going to receive something. He is going to receive a difficulty. He is going to receive a special need in his life. We can understand it uh, as a thorn. And uh, the thorn in the flesh, as many of us understand it as, because that's what it's referred to, we don't know what it is. And that's an interesting thing. And God seems to go out of his way not to clarify what it is in Scripture. It's a sharp object, sort of like uh, a sharpened piece of wood would be what a thorn is. And in the flesh, that means in his actual physical body. So, you know, there's, there's many different statements that have been made. You know, Paul was stoned, and if you're, if you're stoned with, with rocks, by the way, uh, that means that your head is crushed. That's actually, they're not trying to stone your foot. They're actually trying to crush your head so that they can kill you and you would have the utmost of suffering. And so as a result, Paul was stoned. You don't live through stoning, by the way. Uh, the whole point of stoning is you kill someone. However, Paul is stoned. He's left for dead. Very likely he was dead. That's my entire opinion on it. And then he's literally going to pop back to life. Now, when he pops back to life, it's possible that his head was <laughs> still showing the ramifications just as Jesus still shows the nail wounds. And so many people throughout history have, have said that very likely his thorn was a smashed head. And so I have multiple messages that go into that, like the man of smashed head. I actually have a message called that. And because of what you need to bear in this body, Paul had a special need. And uh, if, if you could imagine what it would be like to be bold when you have a spa smashed head. And now I'm not saying it was a smashed head. That's speculatory, but, right? But uh, at the same time, just imagine Paul had a special need. He was given a thorn. So in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, this is Paul speaking. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul is given a weakness. He's given a special need. And God is going to match that with something that is super abundant. It is not just enough to cover over. It is that which is in superfluous, overwhelming amounts. And it's applied directly there. Paul, yes, I hear your prayer. But instead of giving you precisely what you're asking for, which is removal of the need, removal of the difficulty, I still have an assignment for you and I need you to carry that. Where this is coming from is it's coming from the evil one. There is a lot of junk that gets thrown against us. There is a lot of results of sin in this life. However, when we carry around in our body something that is undealt with, it 
creates a, a craving for the heavenly realms. And we have a, a void or a vacuum that is created in our life. Like, God, please solve this riddle. And sometimes what God wants is for you to carry that a little while longer. Because as you do, it creates an opening for him to pour in his grace. When we go through difficulty, when we have a need in our life, and I could give a lot of different needs. They, they're not just physical. They could be emotional. They could be practical. They could be financial. When there's a need, it's not that your father doesn't want to deal with it. It's that he sometimes knows that that's part of your assignment to carry that. It's part of your witness to show the world that in weakness, God's strength is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is his conclusion. I want you to follow his logic here. Remember, this is the same guy that's teaching us about logikos in Romans 12, that it is logical to offer my body as a living sacrifice. If this be true and this be true and this be true, it is logical that I would give everything to Jesus Christ. Therefore, if it is true that God's strength is made perfect through my weakness, if that is true, that God is going to evidence himself in this earth in even a greater measure in and through my special need, then, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, it's a conclusive statement referring to something before. He still concludes, it's a double conclusion. Therefore, and therefore, if this is true, that my special need is going to awaken the power of God in my life, if it is true that my special need is going to reveal to all of you out there that my God is great, then I'm going to boast in this weakness. And listen to his second conclusion. Therefore, I take pleasure. That is one of the most extreme, opposite direction sorts of conclusions anyone could ever come to. I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Because this is for him. If this is going to accomplish his ends on this earth, I take pleasure in the assignment. I take pleasure in this thorn. And this thorn isn't even coming from God, but I take pleasure in its effect in my life because it is awakening the power of God in me and through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, that is heavenly logic right there for us to behold and stand in awe of. There's another special assignment that I'm going to bring out that is going to uh, be unfolded as we progress. Her name is Macy Hoback. She's the recipient of a thorn. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna sort of unfold Macy's story as we progress because it's, it's quite amazing. The Hoback family lives in Bedford, Virginia. Macy Hoback lived a quiet life on a dairy farm just outside the town of Bedford, Virginia in 1941. The Hobacks were a Christian family that loved God and desired to live lives that bore witness of Christ's powerful grace. Macy and her husband were proud parents of seven strong children. On December 7, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, the Hobacks were stirred to action like other Americans. There was a need to do something about the encroaching evil. 
Two of Macy's boys, Bedford was his name. He lived in Bedford, Virginia. His name was Bedford. Bedford and Raymond enlisted in the army. With 33 other boys from their small community, they began training in the old brick Bedford courthouse basement, readying for the day they might be privileged to fight for their country. So we're going to fast forward to where we're at now in World War II. And if you've listened to my uh, Daily Thunder series here, you're going to recognize that I've been, we've been rehearsing for D-Day. We've been talking about the key decisions of Eisenhower to actually decide to move D-Day out from June 5th to June 6th. I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult stuff that we're dealing with, and that message is called being presidential. And then we talk about the lockdown that took place right before this, a 10-day lockdown where these men are sealed in their ships the bad weather is beating against them. They have no idea what's up ahead. They just know that they're going to be striking the enemy shoreline. They have no idea where or how this is going to work, but they're in lockdown. Doesn't that feel a little like what we've gone through? We don't really know what's ahead. We don't know the results of an upcoming election. We don't actually know what beach we're even headed towards. We just know that this is an amphibious attack. We're going from water to land and we need to be willing to lay down our lives because we have to break through for, into fortress Europe. We have to break the Atlantic Wall. And so they're in lockdown. There's a lockdown that precedes the greatest victory uh, in World War II. I just, that's, I, I just keep repeating that to myself because that's, that's what I'm looking for too. There was a lockdown right before the great victory came. Yes, if history repeats itself, that's the part I want to repeat. June 6th. 1944. So if you're going to memorize dates in history, this happens to be one of the most important ones in history. I mean, we're talking world history because there's a lot of nations that are involved in what's about to happen right here. Time, 6.36 a.m. is when the tip of the spear is going to reach Omaha Beach. That transport door is going to open and you have real live boys that are going to step out and engage an enemy that has been waiting for a long time. Uh, France is going to fall. This is the shoreline of France. France is going to fall like a house of cards in May to June of 1940. This is in 1944. And Hitler's been building up fortifications and walling in his Atlantic uh, wall for a long time. And he knows the attack's coming. The Allies know that they need to bring it, but how they bring it, how do you break through this wall? I mean, this is why it took two and a half years to strategize. Omaha Beach is one of five beaches. So there's going to be five beaches lining this Normandy uh, beach area, and Omaha is the most famous, and the reason is is because that's where most of the deaths are going to occur. Because, like I said, the machine gun nests were not taken out. And as a result, the Germans have... Uh, basically no hindrance. And most of the tanks that are supposed to come over and land on the land and take out these nests, they sunk on the way across the English Channel. So as a result, these boys are sitting ducks. Location, Omaha Beach. So the Nazi occupation, most of us fail to remember. We know what maybe Europe looked like before World War II. We know what Europe looked like after World, World, World War II. But we don't remember what it was like during World War II. For most of World War II, is actually worse than this. This is actually a scaled-down version. This is right at D-Day. You're going to see all that red 
and that, which is under that big swastika. That's all red, by the way. Uh, that's right where the capital, uh, sort of the capital of Berlin would be right uh, near the edge of that. And so what you see is Great Britain is that island nation just to the, uh, the northwest. Uh, uh, and so there's this channel called the English Channel that separates it. And so all of the allied forces, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, have been training and rehearsing on that little island. And they need to surprise uh, the Germans. And how do you surprise? That's, you need to listen to one of my uh, other messages. I'm, I, I think it might be in being presidential. I go through uh, Operation Bodyguard, which is really funny, actually. The, uh, the British intelligence service is really smart. <laughs> That's all I can say. And they are going to fool Hitler. Hitler is actually going to send an entire division up to Norway because I mean, he's convinced that they're going to attack at Norway. And why? Because his own spy network is telling him that. They, uh, the British called him Mutton Jeff. And so they would, they, once they found out who the spies were, then they would accidentally give information to these spies. And so then the spies would take the information back to Hitler, and it worked. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> they had inflatable tanks. They had fake planes. They had artists that drew large canvases and painted it. So when their Luftwaffe would fly over and, and scan, they would see, whoa, this is where they're going to attack because look where they have all their transport vehicles. <laughs> it was a painting. Uh, and so, I mean, it's an elaborate scheme to dupe this enemy uh, that is a con man himself. And so what we see is that Hitler basically is occupying all of Europe, okay, for lack of a better way of saying it. And before this, you see the boot of Italy down there. That was red uh, just the year before, and Northern Africa was red the year before. This was like, and even go into, uh, uh, into Soviet Russia, uh, another chunk, and you're going to recognize even that. I mean, it was worse even uh, a year or two before. It was headed in, in the exact opposite direction. You see the Allies at least beginning to contain. But how do you break into that? This is the breakthrough. This is the tip of the spear that is going to actually be decisive to change the course of history. So this is called the Atlantic Wall. And so when you ever hear the reference to that, this is sort of how do we get to Berlin, Germany? Well, we're going to have to go through the Atlantic Wall. They're trying to go up through Italy, but they have to go through mountains. This is very difficult to, to break through Germany. It's called the Gustav Line, right at that boot. That's the Gustav Line. And they've been trying and trying. It's sort of like us in our own strength attempting to live the Christian life. You should listen to the message, the Gustav Line, if you really struggle with that, because that's exactly what it is. They cannot, no matter how hard they try, they cannot break that mountain pass. This is the way into Europe. So we're going to zoom in, and that's going to be where Normandy is, okay, guys, where the star is there. And so uh, the shorter distance across is where uh, at Pas de Calais, if you see that, that distance in the English Channel between Dover and uh, Pas de Calais, that's where Hitler's expecting him. And for many reasons, it's a far better spot to pull off D-Day, except for because of that, Hitler has all of his fortifications, most of his men, right there. He's defending that, and of course, Mutt and Jeff have convinced him that that's where they're coming to. I mean, they have the fake canvas paintings of all the transport vehicles that are coming across right there. So Hitler knows it's Norway and Pas de Calais. No way, not on my watch, says Hitler. So it's amazing because there's a huge storm right at this time, and which is what's going to cause Eisenhower, who's the supreme commander of uh, D-Day and Operation Overlord, he is going to delay it one day. Uh, and in the second day, June 6th, there is still a storm. But the meteorologists 
have informed Eisenhower that there's going to be an 18-hour window where the, where the storm will cease and where we could attack. Eisenhower has to make a significant decision because, for instance, the Germans are going to have a very different weather readout. And it's going to say that it's going to be intense gale storms, gale winds, all the way up until mid-June. So do you know that all of the officers of the Germans are going to go home? Hitler, even the night before, the night of the 5th going into the 6th, is going to say, I'm sleeping in. Do not wake me up for anything till noon. Hitler will not be woken up till noon on D-Day because of this storm. However, the British meteorologists are convinced that there's going to be an 18-hour window, and Eisenhower basically says, we're going to take it. He's risking everything because to go across this channel, you could lose all your men just in the weather. And this is an extremely dangerous mission, let alone to hit the beaches with guns trained on you, right? So this is, I mean, this is such an exciting thing, but it, boy, does it feel real to my soul because this is what I feel like I live in. The beaches, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Look at this next screen. Omaha turns red. Omaha is going to be selected for a special purpose. In all of history, it's going to be remembered. It's a harder place, guys. But if we had to say, which beach are you going to choose? Well, if you were going to choose, you would pick a different one. <laughs> Hardly any losses in some of these other be beaches because they were able to take out, uh, with the pre-bombing, the machine gun nests. And so as a result, the soldiers are going to get on the beach just like they intended, and they're going to be able to move in. However, Omaha Beach is not going to turn out that way. It's going to be a massacre. The countries that are participating in this uh, entire D-Day, uh, you have Great Britain, America, Canada, France, Poland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, Denmark, Norway, Australia, New Zealand, Luxembourg. Look at this next screen. Who gets Omaha Beach? The Americans do. Special selection, guys. The divisions... So the divisions for Omaha Beach from America are the 1st Infantry Division and the 29th Infantry Division. The 29th Infantry Division is going to be selected for the tip of the spear. The regiments, the 115th, the 116th, and the 175th Infantry. These are regiments. The 116th is going to be selected out of all these regiments. There's a lot of men involved in this. And you're going to see the pruning and the picking of the tip. Who gets this assignment? The 116th. Out of the three battalions in that, uh, in, in that regiment, you have the 1st Battalion that is going to be selected for the tip of the spear. And out of that battalion, there are four companies. You have Company A, or A Company, C Company, B Company, and D Company. I know, very creative names, right? Out of those companies, A Company is going to be selected for the tip of the spear. Out of millions of allied soldiers, you're going to have a group of 230 that is going to be at the tip of the spear in one of the hardest moments in all of history. How did I get that assignment, says Company A. <laughs> what? How did I get that? The tip of the spear. 
So June 6, 1944, 6.36 a.m., Omaha Beach, 29th Infantry Division, 116th Infantry Regiment, 1st Infantry Battalion, A Company, 230 boys. And in that are the Bedford boys. 35 boys from Bedford, Virginia are all in Company A. And out of those, Bedford and Raymond Hoback, two brothers. I, there's, there's something about this that has stirred me so deeply to study. Once they become real and they become human, it stirs you. It moves you because this is, this is us. This is what I'm training you for. This is what God has trained me for, to say, yes, I'll go. If you're going to enlist in, enlist in the army, oh, uh, Raymond Hoback, you do know what that means, right? I do. He doesn't come in and say, just as long as you don't send me to Omaha Beach on D-Day. How do you get picked for an assignment like this? How do you get to be in the very front of the first transport that makes its way to Omaha Beach? How do you get that assignment? A company, 230 boys, 212 will become D-Day casualties. 19 from one single town in Virginia, Bedford. 19 of those 35 will be wiped out. John Schilt from the Long Line of Splendor says, the landing craft approached Vierville at 6, 0600, if I'm going to read it correctly. And at 063600, I don't know how, how you say that. Uh, is that how you say it? Okay. The ramps of Company A's five surviving boats were dropped after reaching the assigned sector. There were no shell holes for cover at Dog Green. That's the spot on the beach that they were at. And within seven minutes, Company A was virtually wiped out by either the heavy German fire or from drowning in the surf. By the end of the day, only 18 of 230 members of the company had avoided becoming casualties. So if you look at the 16th, uh, this is the 16th regiment, uh, they're going to be the ones in which Company A is. This is from their history. It says, the long-awaited assault on Fortress Europe began in the early hours of 6 June 1944 as the 16th Infantry Regiment moved toward Omaha Beach. About 600 yards offshore, the regiment's landing craft began to encounter intense anti-tank and small arms fire. As the lead elements approached the beach, it became readily apparent that many of the enemy's strong points had not been eliminated by the pre-invasion bombardment. This continues. Many landing craft and their occupants were hit as they plowed through the heavy seas toward shore. As landing craft dropped their ramps, men were killed and wounded as they attempted to get out of the boats. Others were hit as they struggled through the surf or tried to run across the sand weighted down with waterlogged equipment. The Bedford Boys is what they were known as. So imagine this little town, Bedford, Virginia, is going to send off 35 of their hardiest young men. These guys are going to train in that old brick courthouse in the basement, and they're going to be sent off probably with some kind of hoopla, and then they're going to start receiving telegrams back on D-Day. 19 of the 35 Bedford boys that trained together in the basement of the old brick Bedford courthouse on Main Street died on Omaha Beach in the first seven minutes from 6.36 a.m. to 6.43 a.m. on D-Day. The special assignment. 
Macy Hoback, the recipient of a thorn. So this is Mama Hoback. Who's suffering that day? Who's spending? We spend in different ways, and our needs are very different. If you're the one on the front lines going across the English Channel in the midst of a storm, and you know, and uh, enemy gunfire, machine guns are little ping, 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 ping off your front landing craft, and you know that that door needs to be opened, you need special grace. <laughs> your thorn is very different than Macy Hoback's. Macy Hoback's thorn is to give up her boys and to send them into this evil, to fight this evil, and to stand against this evil. I, mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like for a mom. I mean, I can only look at it from the lens of a father, but from the lens of a, a, a mother uh, who entrusts you know, a Bible to, to Raymond, and I always picture the inscription in it. You know, I have, my imagination fills in all sorts of things, and just the final hugs and the kisses and the tears and the many nights when uh, Papa Hoback is comforting Mother Hoback. And that's, that's even before D-Day. And yet alone to receive the telegram back that not just one of your boys was lost on the beaches of Omaha, but that both of them were killed in the first seven minutes. The recipient of a thorn. So this is the daughter, who, uh, Lucille, uh, because the, the parents weren't alive anymore when this, was, this interview was done. Uh, she was 14 at the time. Lucille Hoback, who's now Lucille Bogus. You can imagine what a shock it was to my parents and then to us. My mother just cried and cried. Daddy went outside so people wouldn't see him cry. Both of them were just devastated. You know, there's so many people in this world that have very special trauma that they have gone through that is different than your trauma. And yet, what I want you to know is that though this is not a thorn that can just be pulled out, this is a thorn that needs grace. It's not just that Bedford and Raymond are going to come back. It's that there needs to be an application of grace. And here's the marvel. Here's the miracle. God's grace is actually greater than the thorn. It overplays, it outweighs, it is more significant, it triumphs over the difficulty. A believer who will turn to God in the midst of their thorn, in the midst of their need, will find something greater. Mathematically speaking, the term in scripture is called a consolation, which isn't a very good term because that sounds like a consolation prize, like, well, you did your best here. You know, you didn't get first, second, or third place. You get a consolation prize. But in scripture, a consolation is actually an overwhelming support, like an intimate warmth and nearness of God himself who comes in the midst of our pain and makes up the difference and more. So though... For instance, if you're fatherless and he becomes your father, you still have a real thorn of fatherlessness in your life. But the overwhelming consolation that comes from God outweighs and is greater than what your loss was in what you have in real, real substance in the presence of God. Mathematically, God gives you something greater than what your need is. So when you have need, I know this is going to sound strange, you can rejoice. Why? 
Because God's consolation is even greater. It outweighs. It is more amazing. So if you had a choice and you could say, I want a life without difficulty and without pain, you're going to miss something. Because when you make yourself vulnerable to experience thorns, you will find that you will receive something that you could never find any other way. And that is the grace of God. Uh, Jackie Pullinger, who lived in the walled city of Hong Kong, it was a place that even the police wouldn't go. And it was so decadent, so evil. And the amount of heroin addiction, the, the, the mob rule over this, and she went straight in there as a little tiny woman to live amongst them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And every night she would have people in her room. She had this little small uh, place where she slept. She'd have all these women in there that were coming off of heroin. And uh, so this is her statement. She comes back to the United States and she says to the audience, you may have your own bed at night. Because her room is just covered with people. You know, she, she doesn't have the life that we would esteem. It's hard. It's hard to do what she does. But this is what she says. You may have your own bed, but I know God's grace. And I remember, you rewind my life back to when I first heard those words. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. The way she said that, would cause me to think that she thinks she has something better than what I have. <laughs> and yet I'm not naturally attracted to what she has. You may not be chosen for the A company, but I have God's grace. You may not, you may not have lost two boys in the fight against evil, but I know God's grace. I don't know what your statement would be, but I want you to begin to exercise it right now to recognize that God's grace is superior to not having difficulty in the first place. Would you be willing to have a special need in your life if you knew and believed that God's grace was sufficient? Where there is special need, there is special grace. At the exact point where you feel most vulnerable, where you have been attacked in the greatest way, that's exactly where God's grace wants to meet you. So instead of believing the lie of the enemy, like woe is me, self-pity is what closes off the door to the special grace. But when you embrace and you rejoice, and you say thank you Lord for allowing me to have this special need. Just like Paul. I rejoice. I take pleasure in this because it's through this. This is the channel in which God is going to pour out his life into me at a greater measure. Where there is special need, there is special grace. Where is your thorn embedded? Here's what's funny. Most of us think we have just a special problem and other people don't get it. They don't understand. Other people have it easy. Why is it that I have unique challenges? Because we all have a different thorn. We all have a different challenge. We all have a different special need in our life. And I could go through, my, my special needs have rotated over the years. I don't just always have the same one. But I have a unique special need, and you could call it a thorn. It's not, but 
it, it has definitely felt like one, and that's this campus. The amount of weight that I have had to carry every month for years, that I have to climb a mountain financially every month, supernaturally, that God would supply for it. God, could you please take this away from me? <laughs> God, could you please take this away from me? God, could you please take this away from me? I prayed three times. I've actually prayed a lot more than that. <laughs> but God has made something clear. Eric, because of this challenge that I have given to you, you can recognize my grace in a way that very few people can. You, you know my faithfulness, don't you? I do. You know my provision, don't you? You know that I care for the smallest details, don't you? I do. Lord, I take pleasure in this campus, in the weight that comes with it. For in and through this weakness and this pressing and this difficulty, your strength has been made perfect, has been shown, shined forth into this world in a way that it never could have if I had just avoided it in the first place. Do you have a special need in your physical body? Do you have a special need in your mental capacity? Do you have a special need in your family relationships? Some of you didn't get dealt an easy family situation. And you could say, why is it that they have an easy family, a family that loves them, why did I get this one? If you're an orphan, you could imagine how you could really have some good self-pity grounds right there. Macy Hoback has some really good self-pity grounds, guys. You see, you need to recognize that it's not just you that has a challenge in this life. Every single one of us is going to be dealt challenges. The question is, when we're put at the tip of the spear and we're brought to our own version of an Omaha beach or whether our sons are brought to the, their own version of an Omaha beach and we have our thorn, how do you receive it? You see, all that is happening on Omaha beach is a whole bunch of evil. It's the result of sin. It's the result of selfishness. All of that, and if all of that could be removed, well, we would have heaven. But right now, we're in a battle, and there's pain in each of our lives up ahead. There's challenge. There's storm. There's lockdowns in boats. There's key decisions that need to be made, and you just want someone else to have to make it instead of you. One of the reasons I love studying World War II is it just shows all the thorns. <laughs> There's thorns everywhere. And you watch how men walk through it. You watch how the women walk through these things. And though literally some of the weights are so crushing that people cannot even stand up, a lot of people will literally lose their mind and go insane. I mean, <laughs> there's like such extreme stories in war. You have been given something to be able to walk through the most difficult, most trying of circumstances triumphantly. You have access to the grace of God. And when need opens up, I want you to thank God for that need. Because that very need is going to showcase to you, though that need may have even been created by evil, that need that is opened up is going to showcase to you the very near warm presence of God. And in the end, you will say, along with Eric Ludi, and along with Paul the Apostle, his grace was sufficient. It was actually better 
that I went through that. Praise God. Thank you for taking me through that. It's really hard when you're going through that to say that sometimes. But you might as well start practicing. God, I know I'm going to thank you for this, so I'm going to thank you up front. Thank you for allowing this in my life. It doesn't mean you don't pray for the thorn to be taken away. It's just that sometimes God knows it needs to linger a little longer there so that his grace can increase in and through you. Is your thorn embedded in your financial situation? Is your thorn embedded in an emotional uh, issue? How about your practical circumstances? Paul the Apostle says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I want you to reason like a Christian. The concept of sufficient is so extreme. I remember uh, Charles Spurgeon saying it's like a little fish in the vast ocean wondering if there's going to be enough water for him. And then God says, oh, little fishy, my ocean water is sufficient for you. That's how large the aquifer of God is of grace. Psalm 68, five through six. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. So if you are fatherless in any area, what is he? He's a gap filler. He will make up that difference and the fatherhood of God is, is actually a greater fatherhood than an earthly fatherhood. Not having an earthly father is a thorn. Not having an earthly father that knows how to build you as a child and to support you and encourage you and to speak those words of love to you, it's a thorn. And it's not necessarily that God has designed it that way. He has not designed it that way. But where there is an absence or where there is a void or where there is a need, there is a consolation. Capital F, Father, is ready to make up the difference. Wherever that gap is in your life, he makes it up. Wherever that need is, it says God sets the solitary in families. He solves the riddles. He takes that which is missing. There's a missing father, so what does he do? He sets that, sol that solitary one into a position of strength. You need to know that in your life, that God is going to take your solitary position and he is going to surround it with grace. He is going to solve that riddle. And he is going to bring out those who are bound into prosperity. He is an advocate for those who will trust him. Jesus Christ promises before he leaves, John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That's a promise. So some of you are like, well, I'm not an orphan. Well, he's, neither were they. He's not going to leave them without the supplier, without the capital F father. He knows that they have need to do what he's assigned them to do. You're going to be like sheep among wolves. Uh, Jesus, you're going with us, right? I will not leave you orphans. 
But God, I'm in company A. I'm the tip of the spear. God, I, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can do this. I will not leave you orphan. I will come to you. He will be there when we need him. As, Beth, as Corey Tenboom asked her father, if you guys remember the story, she was wondering if she could stand up in persecution. If the day ever came when she had to choose between giving up her life or standing for Jesus, she felt so frail. She didn't know if she could do this. So she said, Papa, how do I know? Will I know? Can I know? How do I know if I can stand? Corey, <clears throat> when we're getting on the train, when do I give you the ticket? Right before we get on. The same is true with your heavenly father. When you have need of that grace, he will supply it. You will never be lacking, guys, no matter what the challenge. If you're Raymond Bedford, if you're Macy Hoback, whatever your unique need is, when that time comes, the grace is available. Jesus Christ in John 16, 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. I, I, I don't get that. How could it possibly be to our advantage that Jesus departs and ascends? For if I do not go away, the helper, the one who meets your deepest need, the one who can comfort you at the greatest levels, will not come to you, but if I depart, if I allow you to have this need, I'm gonna come in and fill it at a deeper level. They're going to be separated. There's a need that's being created here, guys, and no one wants Jesus to go. Could you imagine what that would feel like? Sort of like Macy Hoback letting go of Bedford and Raymond. Oh, God, you can't, you can't take them. But if I take them, I can give you something, Macy, that will change your life. I can give you my grace. The heavenly logic. So this is a conversation between Jesus and Macy Hoback, which I'm making up, by the way. I never talked with Macy Hoback, never had this discussion with her. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go unto the Father. Macy says, how could it be to my advantage? Wouldn't it be better that you just take away my special need? Jesus, because, because to receive my grace through your point of need is greater, stronger, and more wonderful than to not have any need at all. That's heavenly logic. Job 42.12. If you guys remember the story of Job, which is a book most of us try and stay away from, we're like, no, thank you, God. I, you know, I, I would rather just uh, sort of act like that book doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm afraid you're going to bring up my name in conversation with the devil too. <laughs> Job is going to go through a trauma. You know, and by the way, Job, Job, how you say it in uh, the Hebrew, from the land of Utz, his name means hated and despised. Utz means the place of wood. Hated and despised, the place of wood. Does that uh, ring any bells for you? We have the suffering of the body of Christ right here. You're going to see a need created. You're going to see all hell break loose on a man, the tip of the spear, a testing point. All heaven leans in to watch. 
Even those closest to him are asking him to turn on God. Turn away from the source of grace. This man will not do it. The very end, look at this, guys. This is a statement that should just ring in your souls because it's the same message Paul is preaching. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. In other words, what is going to come is actually greater than what he had. If he had never had that need, he would have never received the greater blessing. There is a greater blessing that comes to those that walk the narrow way, that are willing to go through trials and difficulties and pains that the human side of us wants to deflect and be shielded from. We don't want difficulty in our life, but if we will expose ourselves, say, God, I'm your vessel ready to stand. I want to break the Atlantic Wall. Whatever needs to take place in this generation to push back Hitler, do it in me. If we're willing, we will receive a blessing that is greater. So the operations of special grace. June 6, 1944, D-Day. On June 7th, 1944, Raymond Hoback's Bible, given to him as a Christmas gift in 1938 by his parents, was found lying in the desolations of Omaha Beach. It was sent back to the Hoback Dairy Farm in Bedford, Virginia. It was a special grace to meet a very acute special need. Listen to this comment I made at the very bottom. There is always grace to be found in the sands of every Omaha. In the sands, the after effect, there is something there. What is, what is the Bible symbolic of? <laughs> That's the word of God. That's his grace extended to us. It's, it's just right there. And what you see in this story, I mean, it's just amazing. In the midst of the darkest of circumstances, the most grievous of pains and losses, this Bible is found. I mean, this is a beach covered in all sorts of debris, all sorts of bodies, all sorts of sand. I mean, you have everything that could cause things to be lost for generations. And there's Raymond Hoback's Bible, given, him to, given to him by his mother. And this, that's why I always like imagine what the inscription is. And there's something, I, I, I mean, I picture Raymond writing something to his mom in it, even as he's going there. It's like, if this is found <laughs> on me, may it always be known. This is a special grace. Uh, they still have this Bible in the family. This is like cherished. This is a symbol of God saying, I see and I make up the difference. Where there is special need, there is special grace. Father, there's a lot of special need in this room. And those that are streaming this right now are those that are going to listen to this in podcast. There's a lot of special need. But Lord, there's a lot more special grace. The special grace is so much more vast than any need. Lord, please, teach us how to receive that instead of to shoo it away by coddling self-pity. Lord, may we open ourselves up to actually agree with Paul 
that your strength is made perfect in weakness and your grace will prove sufficient in our lives. Lord, there is enough for us. There is sufficient for us. Lord, we say thank you and we take pleasure in our unique challenges today because we believe you that you will turn this into a profound picture of your grace and glory. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.